The Daily Tap is live for Monday. It is January 30th. We are putting Marquette's expectations in a ranking system. We'll talk about where we see the Golden Eagles going from here after another awesome victory over DePaul this weekend. We'll talk about the Milwaukee Bucks and why they are sending warning shots to the rest of the NBA. We'll do some Golden Kegs too in there as well. We'll talk about questions from NFL Championship Weekend as a Packer fan. I'm sure there'll be some Aaron Rodgers stuff, maybe a little MVS, some Bengals fans thoughts, and much, much more. Uh, before we get in, make sure you're following us on social media, tapping the keg on Twitter, tapping the keg sports on Instagram and TikTok. You might see something a little different on some of those platforms sooner rather than later. I have to talk to the powers that be, but just stay tuned. There might be something on the precipice. Also, make sure that you are leaving some reviews on Apple or Spotify or wherever else you can leave reviews. We would really appreciate that. We want people to know what we're all about. Uh, we want people to know that this is something a little bit different for the state of Wisconsin, that you don't have to just listen to sports radio and settle for just dude talk and guys who don't really want to have sports shows, as we've seen on some things on Twitter, if you do enough research. So make sure that you are checking us out. Make sure you're telling people about us. Uh, let us know uh, more we can do. Um, if there's stuff that we should be doing differently, please let us know. Um, I think that's sometimes a challenge when you're doing this as a side project. You're like, how much can I do versus what do I need to keep doing or do more of? I, I do think there are some areas of opportunity. Um, obviously, trying to think small, not go big, um, because that's sometimes a problem. You're like, oh my God, I'm going to do this huge thing. We're going to get all this attention, all this pub, and then it just fizzles out or it's, it's just too massive for you or you overextend what you think your actual reach is. But that's another story for another podcast or a Chuck's Corner at the end where I'm just babbling about marketing and dumb shit or things that are going on in my life. You guys want me to talk sports. That is exactly what I'm going to do. And let's start with the Marquette Golden Eagles. It's been a long time since Marquette has been the lead topic on a Tapping the Keg podcast network show. Um, it's always been a daily tap, something that I've done on, on myself. Um, I think maybe when Steve Wojciechowski got fired, uh, that was a lead topic. I think when Shaka Smart was turning things around and the progress looks evident, that was a you know for A block topic for us. But the reason why I'm starting with Marquette at the A block is because the expectations for the Golden Eagles have to be risen. They have to go up a level. It's no longer, hey, just get in the tournament. That's a nice story with the team that was projected to be ninth in the Big East. The price has gone up. Um, <laughs> as Fat Joe says in the famous video, the price yesterday is not the same as the price today. That's basically how I feel about Marquette, right? It's how I feel about the Golden Eagles. And I think it's warranted. I don't think any Marquette fan should feel like, okay, yeah, just get in and that's good enough. It's it's kind it's gone up. The expectations have gone up because of the way that Marquette plays basketball. And I was so impressed with the second half from the Golden Eagles against DePaul. It was a close game at halftime. I was getting a haircut at 315. So I was, I was kind of worried like, shit, this game's gonna come down to the wire. I'm gonna have to watch this game on my phone. I'm gonna listen to Homer and Tony um, as I drive to, drive to get my haircut. It's snowing like crazy outside. So I, there was a lot of stuff happening but I was like, okay, maybe Marquette can turn on that second half magic. And that is exactly what they did. They had 56 points in the second half. And I realized it's like, hey, it's just DePaul. But 
I do think you can take things out of playing bad opponents. I, I will say similar stuff about the Milwaukee Bucks because that could be the exact same conversation. Uh, the Bucks looked really good this weekend. Yeah, they played two inferior opponents given the fact the Pelicans rested everybody on Sunday. But still, I, I still look at that game and take a lot away to be like, oh my God, this team is starting to turn the corner. But again, we're not here to talk about the Bucks just yet. We're talking about Marquette. And for Marquette, it is, Wow. This team can play with absolutely anybody and they can turn they can turn their own corner, turn in the second half mostly, and really make the adjustments that seem to work. Shaka Smart has been excellent out of halftime. And I know Peyton Manning and other people are like, whoa, there's not second half adjustments. For Marquette, it's evident. Like Marquette seems to figure out these teams in a half. Like they they get their notes, they're like, all right, what do we need to do differently? And they attack like hell in the second half. Remember, Marquette came back from being down 16 to Wisconsin in the second half. And now, granted, they lost in overtime. But they came back. They were up on Purdue until the last nine minutes when they collapsed. And I think they would they would win that game if it was January or February. Marquette is a different animal right now. And they are playing such good basketball. And the DePaul second half was otherworldly. Tyler Kolick with a near triple-double. David Joplin had eight threes off the bench. Omax Prosper really didn't have a good first half. The second half was fantastic. Oso Iguodara had 10 points with eight assists. So they had eight assists as a big man. That's like Giannis shit, right? So seeing all that from the Golden Eagles, you have to feel a different kind of way about this team. This is probably... The most fun Marquette team since the Buzz Williams era uh, when they got to the Elite Eight and that team fell to Syracuse. But that was the last time I think we were having this much fun as a collective Marquette fan base. And college basketball is must-see TV for Golden Eagles fan. And it hasn't been that way for a long time. And I do think part of the Greg Gard discussion right now where everyone's really fired up about Greg Gard, wants Greg Gard out of a job. Now, Greg Gard's water carriers are defending him. And I do think that it's a little ridiculous. I think you were a little premature. And we talked about that with Mitch last week about Wisconsin traditions, which fire guard was one of them. You go listen to that. But I do think Marquette is turning up the pressure. I think Marquette is turning up the heat. If you read some of the mentions of people having these discussions on Twitter, uh, which I, I really enjoy the for you section for multiple reasons. Number one, it, I found these conversations that I never would have found because I don't follow these people. Number two, they, there are people I mute because I'm like, wow, that guy is just a douchebag. And I'm like, his Packer takes are not great. And I'm really glad I never followed that guy because I've gotten mad by like three of his tweets because it's clear he's trying just way too fucking hard. I, not anyone in particular, maybe. Um, I'll let you guys guess who, who I'm talking about. But he, here's the thing. I, in the mentions are like, they're, in, they're talking about guard and everything like that and where the Badgers are at. And some people are like, it's really hard for me to watch Wisconsin play when I'm seeing what Marquette's doing. And it's 100 times more exciting. And that's the kind of stuff that just makes you happy as a fan. Now, I don't hate Wisconsin as much as some of my other Marquette fan base because... I don't know. I've went over it before, but a lot of it has to do with me living in Northwest Wisconsin and realizing that this rivalry does not extend past about 90 miles. And so that it kind of dampened the rivalry for me in formative years. So let's just, let's just leave it at that. Going back to the expectations, it has to look a little bit differently for the Golden Eagles. And 
I'm going to rank basically what I think are the most important things, what I think are the things that matter the most for Marquette, where if they don't happen, I will be somewhat disappointed. And there's really only one where I would be truly disappointed, like truly gutted and like Jesus Christ, like this is not, this is such a damper on what was an awesome season. And that number one thing as we dive into this is win a first round game. That's all Marquette. To me, like that's a successful season. I think not making the Sweet 16 with this team would be a little tough tough pill to swallow just given how good they've been offensively all year. But I think just winning a first round game, getting that monkey off your shoulder as Marquette has not won a first round NCAA tournament game since 2013. And some Badger fans like Ben Brust are clinging on to that. And then that can be dead and buried. And that's been 10 years, right? Marquette has not won a tournament game in 10 years, which is crazy to think about. And why Steve Wojciechowski should never get another high-level D1 job. Marquette is an esteemed college basketball program. And they have not won a tournament game in 10 fucking years. So just win one. I, I don't really care how it's done. I don't care if it's close. I don't care if they don't cover the spread. Just fucking win it. If it's 50 to 49, I don't care. As long as Marquette can win and move on to the second round, and we'll see what happens in the second round, that's good enough for me. And you might say, well, Charlie, that's loser talk. No, I don't think it is. Because first of all, Marquette is a very young team. Now, with Tyler Kolick, I think they level up. I think they take it up a notch. But with Tyler Kolick, I do think that that gives them a, a better shot than most teams in the in the big dance. I'm not saying it's going to be a Final Four team, but we'll get to the, the maybe some of that conversation a little bit here. But yes, win a, fir, win a first round game. They're a four seed right now. Um, four seeds can be tricky, right? Uh, there are 13, 13 seeds that are all good, whether it's like a Southern Illinois or Liberty. Those are good opponents. Those are not slouches by any, any shape of the word. And we'll see after you know the Villanova game or before the Villanova game, could Marquette move up to the three line? I think it's going to take a couple more big wins for them to really start being considered as a three line team. If you get to the three line, I do think you're in a much better position than the four line. I, I would prefer the three line, I think, uh, just because for a couple of reasons. Number one, I, I think you'll get more of a benefit on where where to play. So Marquette could get somewhere like Des Moines or Kansas City. Or I think Orlando is still an advantage for Marquette. I don't know if they the committee will see it that way. I see it that way personally. Or a Columbus for that matter. Like Marquette will get some advantages there where they will have their, their crowd. And Marquette travels well regardless. But there are ones where you'll see probably more Golden Eagles fans than the ones I listed are definitely in that. Denver would be another one, actually, that I think you'd see a lot of a lot of Marquette fans. But a three seed would really, really go a long way. And the teams at the 14 line are not usually as difficult as those teams at the four line. But I, there's there's work that still needs to be done. That's that's just what it is. It, as, a, as a four seed, I, feel, I still feel good that they can win one and get that done. Number two is win a regular season Big East title. Now, will I be disappointed if they don't win the Big East title? Only because Xavier and Providence annoy me, um, who are the two other teams that are chasing them. Everybody's nine and two right now. Uh, just a reminder for those who 
maybe aren't familiar with college basketball or don't know this is if you all have the same record, you win the Big East title. So winning it outright is very special in college sports. Um, if you can win it just by yourself, which I think the Badgers did last year uh, when they beat Purdue, like an outright title in a Power Five school is big is a big deal. Uh, or a Power Conference, they don't call it Power Five in college basketball, but a Power Conference like that's a big deal for them. So if you look at Providence, Xavier, Marquette, and try to handicap it, Marquette only has three games left against the top fifty in Kempom. Their toughest stretch comes next week. If you were to look where a February swoon could happen, they have to go to UConn. Now, UConn is a mess right now. UConn's not playing well, but still, at some point, UConn's going to figure it out. I can't think that they're going to have this landslide for the rest of the year. At some point, UConn's going to turn it around and start playing good basketball again. Hopefully, it's not against Marquette. Then they go to Georgetown. While that's a game you should not lose by any circumstance and would hurt everything that you have done, it is a sandwich game. It's in between UConn and Xavier. So you play Xavier back at home at your gym. It should be should be a hot one. It's a, I think it's a Wednesday night. Uh, and then you have a week off, basically. I think there it's actually six days. And then you go to Creighton, which has not been a fun place to play for Marquette in the past. So... That stretch right there, it will pretty much decide if you're going to win the Big East title or not. Now, Xavier also has three left, one of those being Marquette, obviously, and Providence actually has four left. Could be more or less if teams like Seton Hall or or Villanova get better. Uh, Seton Hall right now is at a 54 on Kempom. I don't think Seton Hall is very good. I think they beat up on bad teams. They don't play well against good teams. Um, And then with Villanova, they get Justin Moore back. Uh, I didn't touch that game from a gambling perspective against Providence. They were at home. And while Justin Moore did help, uh, they were they were really bad down the stretch. And then we saw that against Marquette, where it didn't really seem like they had any cohesion, any sort of sort of plays, I guess, down the stretch. Like it was a lot of just like isolation, let you let you make your own decision. I think adding Justin Moore to the mix is a challenge for Marquette. I wish that they would have got Villanova pre-Justin Moore, but what can you, well, they did one game, but they will then have Villanova with Justin Moore on Wednesday night at the Pfizer Forum in a game where also you can't really look ahead because you have National Marquette Day on Saturday. It'll be a sellout crowd. It will be loud. It will be hyphy. Everybody is going to be just at the brim. It's going to be a drunken time. I'm very excited for it. But I know Marquette's probably feeling that a little bit too. And so you can't look ahead to that game. You just got to take care of business against Villanova. And they've been really good at that sort of thing. But that's that's going to be a, a little bit of a worry. And yeah, is there a chance where they could slip up in this you know time where it's like one loss where it's like, wow, I did not see that coming at all. Like just a complete stunner. I don't, I don't really see it. Maybe Butler on the road on a Tuesday night where it's your, you know, Butler is likely not going to be a tournament team in any shape of the word. They're not going to be NCAA for sure. And NIT probably not unless they went on a crazy run. So you could look at Butler could look at that as being like, okay, that's like our Super Bowl. Like that's our Super Bowl. It's their senior night too. Um, so I, I do wonder is that going to be is that going to be a really tough game for Marquette where they could trip up uh, versus instead of the the ones against the Ken Palm top fifty? But yes, a Big East title would be ideal for the Golden Eagles.
Number three, we'll go a little quicker here on this. Number three, perform well at the Garden. So semifinals or later. Marquette has had a real trouble in the Big East tournament. They have not done well there. I don't know why the Garden is a house of horrors for Marquette, but they just have not really performed well at, at the at, at Madison Square Garden at the in the Big Apple. Uh, it's important for really this reason alone: the East Regional Finals there. So if Marquette does get placed in the East Regional Final as a three or a four seed. They're, if they're going to get to the Final Four, if they're going to get to Houston, they have to play well in the Garden. And they've struggled there. And so maybe this year will be different. Um, I think they have one or two semifinal appearances since joining the Big East years ago. So maybe this is the year they finally break through. You, you'd think that a team like Marquette, the way they play, their relentless nature, the way they, they get up and down the court, you have to think that bodes well for the conference tournament. And I would I would relish a, a run in the Big East tournament. I think winning the Big East tournament is a big deal. I think that's a something to hold your hat on and something Marquette has never done. And while some might say, well, winning your conference tournament fucks you for the NCAA tournament, that might be true. But still, I think it matters. And I think the Big East is really good. And if Marquette is a four or a three, I think a it, it could vault them a seed to get to win the Big East tournament. So could we really be talking about a two seeded Marquette team? Perhaps. I I think it would be on the table if they won the Big East and if they remain if they kind of stayed the course. Like they they lost. Obviously, they're not going to win out. They're unrealistic. But if they like lost to UConn and Creighton, right? And those are the only two losses the rest of the way. And they either had a share of the Big East regular season title and then they won the conference title. I have to think Marquette's going to move up the rankings, but we'll just have to see. Uh, number four is make the second weekend. Uh, it would be great. I, I think a lot of people would take a Sweet 16 any day of the week, uh, and it would be a lot of fun. And it would be the first one, I think, since also that 2013 season. So it's it's been a while since we've watched Marquette in that second weekend. And might this... Find, might this be the year for the Golden Eagles to get to that second weekend and get to the Sweet 16? It was 2013. That team we talked about, that was so much fun. It also, I mean, pretty good spots for the Sweet 16. Like if this was this was kind of a year to travel. And so you could either get the Big Apple, like we talked about, or Big Apple, like we talked about, the Garden. You could either get Louisville, which you have the bourbon trail right there. So you could just be drunk on bourbon, watch a Marquette all weekend. You have Vegas, which, I mean, you get into a ton of trouble in Vegas. And then, oh, it's the last one. I, I just looked at that. The last one is Kansas City. I mentioned Kansas City as a uh, as a host city for the first two rounds. No. Kansas City would be such a bummer <laughs> compared to the other two where it's like, yeah, we can go to Vegas, we can go to New York City, we can go to Louisville. And it's like Kansas City. So Kansas City, though, and Louisville uh, play better for like work stuff because it's a Friday, Sunday versus a Thursday, Thursday, Saturday. And I don't know. I also don't know how I could survive. Like, would you do normal Vegas stuff plus go to the games? Like, what does that look like? What is that? Yeah, there. I have a lot. I'll be very curious to hear the Vegas experience uh, for the second weekend, but we'll just we'll just have to see. And then lastly, let's get to the Final Four and win it, and get to the national championship game and potentially win the national championship. Now, those things I do not expect. 
I don't know. I, I think the Sweet 16, I, I expect and I'd like to have happen. But if it don't, if they don't happen, I'm not going to be crying about it because this is a young team. And we probably need to have a discussion about what Marquette needs to do to make sure that everybody's happy from an NIL standpoint. Because I could see a lot of teams knocking down the door, Tyler Kolick, knocking down the door, Voso Yudara, knocking down the door, maybe of David Joplin, I'm not sure. But Cam Jones, another guy who's probably going to get some door knocks. You have to, yeah, take care of that. Cam Jones also's health is a is a little bit of a concern for Villanova. Hopefully, he's all right. Sean Jones had a wrist injury. Um, that would be significant if they lost both Joneses uh, for that game against Villanova. That would be definitely a uphill battle without having those two players on the floor. Even though Marquette did very well without Cam Jones in that second half, but all in all, all to say, it's been an awesome ride. I think. As long as Marquette can continue success, I'm sure there's going to be a time where there's a little adversity. Um, Marquette has, I don't know if they've had it. I mean, the Wisconsin game was tough to lose Wisconsin at home. It's never fun. Um, and, and they bounced back really great from that. Um, and the Purdue loss was heartbreaking, but again, they bounced back from that. And so hopefully they they don't come across any adversity, but I think they're ready for it. And I do not see a February soon for this team. I do not see this team falling back to a six or a seven seed and not being in the Big East conversation. I think they're going to be there. And I can't wait for the next Golden Eagles game, which is Wednesday night against Villanova. That went a little longer, but I, I think that's you know what you get. You're excited to talk about the te this team that has not, I, I don't think they haven't got the shine, but I, I think people struggle talking about Marquette because all they want to do is talk about the Wisconsin Badgers. There's no knock to anybody. I think Wisconsin is a full state team, and I think sometimes Marquette can be kind of stereotyped as a southeastern Wisconsin team. I, I don't think that's true. I talked to a lot of people from Wausau area, Oshkosh area, Green Bay, when I was going to school that liked Marquette. You know, and this was... Still in the era of Dwayne Wade, right? This was still four or five years removed from Dwayne Wade. So it wasn't like that they completely didn't know. So maybe it's changed a little bit. But you just hope that people are talking about Marquette and at least giving Marquette the attention they deserve in the state in the city because it's it's worth it, right? Same with the UWM. UWM deserves a ton of credit. Um, they've been playing great basketball. I, I think they pulled one out last on. Saturday, if I'm not mistaken, against Northern Kentucky, which was a, they came back from like 17 down or something to win that basketball game. So, like, they deserve as much credit, maybe not as much, but they deserve a lot of credit too, uh, as Marquette. And really, Wisconsin should be the third on that totem pole, but you know how it goes. So, that, that's okay. That's uh, here nor there. We'll move on to professional basketball and talk about the Milwaukee Bucks. So I feel like the Milwaukee Bucks are sending warning shots to the NBA. Like, I feel like they're sending flares across the NBA landscape. Like, do you see what we have here? Do you see what's happening? Look look at how good we look right now. So the Milwaukee Bucks blew out the New Orleans Pelicans tonight, 135 to 110. The game really wasn't close from Jump Street. Uh, the Bucks had about an 18-point lead at halftime and then they had an 18 point lead at the end of the third quarter they pushed that baby out to 25 Giannis finished with 50 points and 12 rebounds he also did that in 30 minutes it's an incredible outing from Giannis he also hit two threes to get himself to 50 points and knew exactly that he was at 47 and needed a three for 50 so Giannis was feeling himself tonight and 
Giannis had 41 the night before. So Giannis had 91 points in the last two games. He is cooking. He should be in the MVP conversation. For some reason, he's not. Jokic is MVP. Candidacy took a step back after he got absolutely cooked by Embiid, which I love to see. I'm not a big Joel Embiid guy, but my whole issue with Jokic is he plays absolutely no defense. And Embiid exposed him. And Embiid did real well against Jokic as well. Maybe they could watch the tape on what Embiid did to Jokic and see if they could apply it because the Bucs have been real awful against Jokic in the past. So maybe be a little different when the two meet up in February. But anyways, the Bucks are just looking like a well-oiled machine with Giannis, Drew, Chris Middleton, Joel Ingles, with everybody back. They look so much crisper. They are so efficient offensively. They have a sky-high net rating right now. Uh, their offensive rating is just out of this world. And they're pulverizing these bad teams. And I think that that says a lot to me when you basically are not playing with your food. I realize that Denver game is a bad example because they did play with their food a little bit in that, but they, they slept walked out. And I don't know, maybe it's a little bit of a disappointment because they, they weren't going up against Jokic and they expected to go up against Jokic and were ready to. And maybe that sort of sucked the energy from the Bucks a little bit, but they pounded the Pacers in the first half. Now, granted, Indiana came back and Indiana's done that all year and credit to them. But part of that was because Chris Middleton wasn't on the court. Chris Middleton was a plus 21 when it came to plus minus and Middleton did not play the second half. They were up 30 with Chris Middleton on the court. They didn't. They lost that lead. And part of it was not having Middleton there, but Middleton's on a pretty significant minutes restriction. Now it bumped up to 18 uh, tonight against New Orleans, still coming off the bench. We'll see when Chris Middleton gets his first start. I wouldn't be surprised if it's against Charlotte because again, this is another bad team you're playing. Another team that you kind of owe, right? Because they beat the shit out of you uh, earlier this month. So it'd be great if the Bucs could, you know, return the favor. And that's kind of what they've been doing the last sort of week plus. And it's really fun to see. Um, it's really exciting. And I, I do think it's it should worry the rest of the NBA. Now, the Bucs will have opportunities to prove it against good teams later this week. And that to me is a huge kind of fork in the road, stake in the road. You play the Clippers and they play Miami. Both teams do not have a game the day before. So there should be no reason for back-to-back. There should be no reason for them to rest guys. It should be full rosters with the Clippers, full rosters with the Heat, barring any sort of injuries. So we will kind of get to see what the Bucs are all about. I think those are great measuring stick games with Middleton, with the with Ingles, with everybody, with the big three. I, I'm really curious to see how those games shape out for for the Bucks, and I, and also too, you know, are what will the rotations look like? Will Chris Middleton get back in the starting role? Pat Connaughton, I think, has the the fifth starting spot locked down. I know what Shannon said about Grayson and his confidence, and I hear him, but the way Pat Conton works those pick and rolls with Giannis, it's really hard for me to be like, all right, yeah, we're going to take Pat out of that out of that spot, and we're going to keep Grayson in there. The only reason would be what Shannon talked about last week in Keg Jams, which you listened to, that it will kill his confidence even further. And it's it's Grayson's confidence is not great right now. So we'll just kind of have to see what what transpires but yeah man 
it's been a lot of fun to watch Bucks basketball and just see them pulverize these teams. I said that already. It's been really fun to watch the Bucks just come out and ship pump everybody. And they haven't had a, a tight game, I think, since that Toronto game about two weeks ago. So they haven't had a tight game with Giannis since the Atlanta game two weeks ago. So that's, I mean, yeah, those, this is this is good. This is Bucks basketball at its finest. They're two and a half back of Boston. They are tied right now with Philadelphia. Philadelphia has the tiebreaker. So the Bucks are coming. The Bucks are lurking. And they're really trying to turn it on here before the All-Star break. Let's give out some golden kegs. Uh, we've done this, I would say, not every Bucks game, but talk about the best and worst players from the Bucks outings. Uh, we didn't do Denver, we didn't do Indiana, and we didn't do, obviously, New Orleans. So let's run through all three. Uh, we'll try to keep this relatively short, not, not make it too long for the people. So tonight, obviously, Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, with that three-keg performance, it was incredible. Like we said, 50 points in 30 minutes is just otherworldly. I, I didn't look if it has been done before. I think maybe someone said it was done once. That might have been from Marzon. But yeah, I mean, Giannis just out of his mind. Absolutely. Um, there was no matchup. Jonas Valanciunas got absolutely taken to the cleaners. He was off the beans. Shout out to my guy, Hold the Mayo. Uh, but yeah, it was it was not a good good night for the Jonas economy. The Jonas economy crashed harder than fucking Greece in 2008. Two kegs, Brooke Lopez. Uh, really good night for Brooke. Uh, he, 15 points on 12 shots. He had eight rebounds. He also had th three assists, two blocks. Uh, Brooke was a force inside. Again, speaking to Valanchunas, he had no answer inside for, for Lopez. Uh, Herb Jones tried to dunk on Brooke Lopez. That didn't work. Uh, Brooke said no way. Uh, Brooke's, been, Brooke's been solid of, of late. Um, you can't really forget about Brooke's production with the big three. Um, it's all working. And I think Brooke's thriving with both having Middleton back now as well as Holiday and Giannis, of course. One keg goes to Grayson Allen. Uh, the Kind of the discontent for Allen continues. It's been a rough month for Grayson. Again, those confidence issues we talked about earlier, uh, really persistent. Uh, only eight points tonight. Uh, not, not a good night for uh, the former Duke grad. So on Friday, we'll rip through these since we don't need to recap all of it. I thought three kegs for Giannis, 41 and 12. I, Chris Middleton, two kegs, 17 points in 15 minutes was absurd. Uh, plus 21. Uh, basically, the reason why the Bucks blew out the pace in the first half and the reason why the pace came back in the second half was all driven from Chris Middleton. You make the case Chris Middleton was a three-keg guy too. Uh, one keg, Jordan Nora, just did nothing. Um, I... Jordan Nora getting minutes over Marshawn Bochamp remains a mystery to everybody. I am starting to buy into the conspiracy theory. Maybe they're trying to showcase Nora, and once Nora's traded, that those minutes become Bochamp's, and Bochamp knows that. Everybody's on, on, on board with it except for Buck's Twitter, who is kept in the dark, which obviously because they're Buck's Twitter. Uh, and then against the Nuggets, uh, three kegs to Patsy. Patsy was awesome in that game, uh, Pat Connaughton. That is 19 points, 12 rebounds, uh, career high, or season high on rebounds. I also gave another two-kegs to Chris Middleton. I thought just Middleton had a really nice performance. 
Uh, he, it was kind of the first one where you're like, okay, yeah, Chris, we're, we're starting to, we're starting to feel, feel something. We're starting to get back to, back to the Chris Middleton we all know and love. Uh, one cake, Brooke Lopez, it was a really rough night for Brooke from the field. Uh, and it felt like there was a little too much, uh, getting, getting taken to the rack. Um, rough night for Lopez on that one. But again, it's, you know, it, it, it was a game against Denver and the Bucks came out victorious. So now four straight wins for the Bucks. And hopefully they can keep it going Tuesday night against Charlotte. All right, let's move on to questions from championship weekend as a Packer fan. So we've done this now for the entire playoffs. It's actually been kind of fun because, you know, you just answer questions of everything that's happening uh, in the in the world of football while you do not have a team actually in the race. Why do the Aaron Rodgers rumors continue to happen? So as a Packer fan, you're hearing Aaron Rodgers rumors all the time. Uh, the rumor today or yesterday was that Aaron Rodgers or the Packers would prefer to move on from Aaron Rodgers per league sources, which is from Adam Schefter. Now, Adam Schefter has not been legit on Aaron Rodgers. We went over that a lot last week. Adam Schefter keeps fucking this chicken. Adam Schefter is determined to be the lead guy on this Rodgers stuff. And that's what ESPN does, man. That's what they, that's kind of part of their business model is to be not only a hot take industry with guys like Stephen A and Greeny and things like that, but also be on the front of breaking news stories like this. As you see with Jeff Passan in baseball and obviously Adrian Wojnarowski. But Wojnarowski and Schefter both, you know, kind of have shifty practices, right? They, they both sort of, get a lot of stuff from agents. It's not really team-based. Um, and I do not think this is coming from the Packers. I think this is coming from agents. could be coming from Rogers camp, kind of trying to push the narrative against the Green Bay Packers and make the Green Bay Packers look like the bad guy. Where have you heard this before? That was Brett Favre. Brett Favre did the exact same thing. When Brett Favre came back from retirement, he expected the red carpet to be rolled out. Ted Thompson said, go fuck yourself. There is an urban legend that Favre punched Ted Thompson in a private jet. Who knows if that is true or not, but it's very similar. And so we'll have to see if Rodgers meets with Pat McAfee on Tuesday and what he has to say about that. And like, like I said, last week, it was like, okay, hey, maybe he's coming back. And this week, it's like, oh, no, okay. Now it's like he prefers to move on. I just take everything with a grain of salt at this point. Um, I could see the Packers wanting to move on. I think there are breadcrumbs, like the fact they didn't get a veteran wide receiver, which we'll talk about MVS here in a second, uh, to, to help out with the young rookies. Um, I, I think there is also the fact that they just – could clear the books, and this is the last, probably the last time that you're going to be able to trade Aaron Rodgers. So either he retires as a Packer, or you get out of this contract, you get out of the drama, and you move to a new era of Green Bay Packer football. Now, I do think, before we move on to the next question, and I, I kind of hinted at this, I think on, on Friday's show, and if I didn't, I certainly wanted to get this point across. I don't think anyone realizes how bad, how much you guys are going to hate this. Like, I, I know that everybody wants it. I, I know there are people clamoring. I know that when, you know, people put out polls, like, do you want Aaron Rodgers back? It's like 52, 40, 48, no to yes. But I, I just, I don't know if you're actually ready for this. Like, if Rodgers goes off with the Jets, if Rodgers is 9-1 and one with the New York Jets and the Packers are 
So that'd be 10. So they're four and six, maybe. They're right where they were this year. They're four and six. Are you really going to be feeling great? Like, I, that's, the, that's the part that drives me crazy. Like, I have said, you know, from the start, from the start of the offseason, I am absolutely indifferent. If Aaron Rodgers comes back, I will embrace him with open arms. If Aaron Rodgers gets traded, I will say, all right, ready for Jordan Love, excited for Jordan Love. And I've I've stood my ground there. And if the Packers, I guess option three, Packers kept Rodgers, traded Jordan Love. Again, I'd be at peace. I'd be a little worried that Jordan Love would turn into a superstar somewhere else. But I would have faith in the organization that they think of him as either Matt Schaub or Jimmy Garoppolo. But what I do think is going to happen is these motherfuckers that want Aaron Rodgers gone, that are adamant that Aaron Rodgers needs to go. If he goes around and goes 9-1 and one with the Jets or the Raiders or some bullshit like that, and the Packers are middling, you know, fighting to get into the playoffs and maybe going back-to-back years without making the playoffs, everyone's going to be like, oh, we should have never got rid of Rodgers. Because that's what happens. That's it, it just it sinks into people's brains. And then you're hearing the Stephen A's and the Greenies and the Skips saying, Packers should have never got rid of Rodgers, even though those motherfuckers are saying the exact opposite right now. That's just how it works. And so I realize that you're like, oh, it's just going to be like, it's going to be like Russell Wilson in Denver. But remember, Matt Stafford won a fucking Super Bowl the year he got traded to the, the, the Los Angeles Rams. So there's a real, Tom Brady left the Patriots and also won a Super Bowl. This year, you're not having it because you're going to have Jalen Hurts and you're going to have Patrick Mahomes. And oh, by the way, you want to add a little more fuel to that fire? Jalen Hurts got drafted after Jordan Love. So guess what narrative comes out? Why didn't the Packers draft Jalen Hurts if they were going to draft a quarterback in the first round? Which is extremely fucking stupid. No one thought Jalen Hurts could be a quarterback in the NFL. People thought the Eagles were crazy for drafting him in the second round. But there will be retrospect theater. Like we're going to do with MVS here in a second. So I'm not perfect either. Okay? But what I'm telling you, I guess, is wanting Aaron Rodgers gone is one thing. But the the consequences that come from this are not going to have a potential to be really, really unfun and not great for Packer fans. Second question, like I said, hypocritical. Did the Packers give up on MVS too soon? This is the exact same shit as it would be if Rodgers was, you know, well, not the exact because it would be much more dramatic. But MVS, great game in the Chiefs win over the Bengals. Uh, He had six catches for 116 yards in that one. I had a touchdown. Uh, Just a masterclass from him. Uh, Really solid. And I think we all agreed that three years, $33 million was too much for MVS. That the Packers with their restrained cap, did not want to give MVS that kind of contract. And MVS had a lot of issues with drops. A lot of it was between the eyes with him. That said, I do wonder if it would have made sense to keep MVS from the veteran succession if you knew Devontae Adams wasn't coming back. And they which they did. I think MVS, signed, he might have signed before. I'd have to double check on that. But if you knew Devontae Adams wanted out, why not resign MVS for a similar deal and have maybe an out after year one and make sure that he is a stopgap if you're planning to draft wide receivers? Now, I think that having free agency right before the draft, 
you know, can well not right before the draft, it's the month before the draft can limit you. But at the same time, like if you keep MVS around and you you have MVS, Lazard, Dobbs, Watson, and Randall Cobb, that's pretty good. It's a pretty good five wide receiver room. And then you have a stopgap if Christian Watson or Romeo Dobbs is hurt, which they were, and having a guy like MVS would be helpful. And I know some would say, well, that was what Randall Cobb and Alan Lazard were supposed to do. True. But I just wonder if MVS would have added an element there, especially with you be able to run two verts with him and him and Christian Watson all fucking day long, uh, two of the fastest receivers on the outside. So I don't think they gave up on him too soon. I just think when we talk about veteran succession plan and why Brian and how Brian Gunacus didn't really do a good job of that, he's like, all right, we'll just stick these rookies out and everything will work out. Um, that's that's kind of what I mean. Was it fun to watch the Niners get shit pumped? Absolutely. Uh, that that was great. Like that was very enjoyable. I wouldn't say it's as enjoyable as Brett Favre in 2009 with the Minnesota Vikings. That would actually be a good uh, look back. Is like favorite NFC Championship game losses as a Packer fan. Like so, where the Packers were involved, uh, the Niners now losing two straight years um, in the NFC Championship game. They can't get back to the Super Bowl. They're denied yet another Super Bowl. They haven't won it since '94. Uh, Kyle Shanahan, I don't really think he could take a lot of blame for this one. Uh, the, the lack of challenge was a bad thing, but Brock Purdy gets hurt right away, and it kind of just all fell apart. It was very. It reminded me a lot of the Atlanta game the Packers played in 2016 when Ladarius Gunter was guarding prime Julio Jones, and Julio Jones absolutely cooked him. And I, I think that's, that's kind of what I envision here. Um, and I, I just, I don't feel bad for the Niners. I feel bad for Brock Purdy because I like Brock Purdy. But uh, yes, I, I enjoyed the Niners getting their asses kicked. If you're a Bengals fan, what's your mindset like tonight or today? I guess I'm taping this late late Sunday night into Monday morning. Um, I, I probably don't go to work today. <laughs> I'm getting very drunk. Uh, and I don't know. I might just lay in the snow for a while and see what happens. Maybe a plow takes me. Who knows, right? Uh, no, seriously, I, I feel bad for Bengals fans. I mean, to to lose in the Super Bowl, same score as they did in this game against Kansas City, and it be close, and then you lose this one, to for a chance to get back there really stings. And having the refs as involved as they were in this uh, makes it even a tougher pill to swallow. I did have a question about the refs. I will say that Ron Tolbert is not one of my favorites. John Hussey is not one of my favorites. It seems like things go off the rails with those two ref games, and that's what fucking happened. And the refs are going to be a larger part of the conversation than they need to be. And they really, I don't think they really have been that much of a conversation in the divisional round or the wild card round, and they made themselves part of the conversation. And that just can't happen. And I really do think Goodell needs to think about just having these guys as full-time employees. They're not lawyers, they're not doctors, they are just referees. Pay them how, how they want, or they're referees, and then they subsidize you know the other job for the six months, I don't know. But something needs to change. Um, and maybe the one thing I wonder is with all the replays we have and all the slow-mo and the 4K, it, is everyone just becoming referee experts and think they know everything that's happening and not really watching things on real time. Should we do instant replays in real time? 
I don't know. I, I, I'm starting to wonder if maybe there's more that's needed there to get a better perspective from the referees. I, I didn't think a lot of this Cincinnati stuff was that bad, honestly. I mean, if I was a fan, I'd be bitching. I'd be doing this podcast drunk. I did a podcast drunk after losing in 20 because um, I went out a little bit after that game and just kept drinking. It was, you know, the heart of COVID. Uh, we were outside. I was, I just remember that game today, actually. Uh, just because it was like, I remembered how fired up we were for it. It was a 2 o'clock game. Packers definitely had a chance in that one and did not deliver. And, I mean, you know what I've, I've said on this podcast, I don't know, 60 times. But you have Bakhtiari in that game. There's no way the Packers lose. And that's the one that will haunt me. I... I really am starting to wonder if that's the one that haunts me more than 2014. Mostly because Kansas City was so beatable in the, in the Super Bowl. Because they had no, they had absolutely no offensive line at that time. And so that, that just makes me wonder, you know, did the Packers miss out on that second Super Bowl? And that one, that one will stick, right? And I'm sure we could find a farm Super Bowl where it would stick. Um, at the 2007 one, and this is similar to 2014, weirdly both with the Patriots, it's like there's, Patriots were undefeated. There was no guarantee Brett Favre would came, come in and beat the Patri- undefeated Patriots. Would it have been a storybook, storybook ending for Favre? Absolutely. And then there would be the rise and fall of Brett Favre with all that's going on in the Mississippi State, Mississippi welfare uh, scandal. With 2014, like that Patriots team was really fucking good. And it went down to the wire. I know the Packers beat the Patriots earlier that year, but you just never know. So, yeah, 2020 is starting to haunt me a little bit. Not going to lie, as we go farther along with not having a Super Bowl, you think about it a little bit more. And I, I think Bengals fans will definitely think about this one. But the future is still really bright for this team. They still have a three-year window, with I think so, with everybody on rookie deals. So they can make the most of it. They'll obviously use this as motivation for next season. I think the Bengals will be one of the favorites coming into the year. But the Chiefs-Bengals rivalry is a real one. Holy shit. Uh, Mahomes took two shots. I couldn't believe Mahomes was taking shots in the postgame. Uh, Travis Kelsey calling the Cincinnati mayor a jabroni was all-time. Like I said, Travis Kelsey has got a little cooler this season, uh, this year. I've, I've enjoyed Travis Kelsey a lot more than in years past. And the taunting of Eli Apple in the in the locker room—it's all—it's all great. Um, Chiefs Chiefs Bengals is an NBC, you know, late uh, or like October, right around the World Series, like week eight. Like, let's get Chiefs and Bengals uh, on Sunday night. Although, if I'll look at it right now, if the Bengals are playing the Chiefs in Kansas City, that is a potential. Uh, Thursday night game if the Chiefs were to win the Super Bowl. They might kick off the year with Bengals-Chiefs. It would not surprise me one bit. Let's see here. They do go to Kansas City. So that that is interesting. That is very interesting as what what would be that Thursday night game. Nothing do I like nerding out over more than thinking through what would be that Thursday night game uh, for the first game of the year. It's how I I recover from not having football in my life uh, after the Super Bowl. What's my initial lean 
for the Super Bowl. Uh, the Kelsey Bowl, uh, I predicted this. Um, no big deal. I was all over both of these games. I, I really nailed it. I stuck strong to my convictions. At the beginning of the week, I was like, I have no idea how Brock Purdy is going to win in Philadelphia, right? Kansas City, I, I think they're talking way too much shit about Joe Burrow. Or, I'm sorry, Mahomes. And Burrowland, all this other shit. I was like, no, no, no. Do not poke this bear. They poked the bear for sure. And Kansas City won. So now you have the Kelsey Bowl. I am leaning Kansas City. I know they're banged up. I know they're not healthy. Um, I want that line to get to like Chiefs plus three, plus four. Mahomes has been great as an underdog in his career. Um, I personally look at this as the Eagles have not played any. Their quarterbacks they played have not been good, right? The Eagles got to the Super Bowl by beating Daniel Jones and Brock Purdy. And now they have Patrick Mahomes. The best quarterback they faced was probably Aaron Rodgers, and Aaron Rodgers didn't have that good of a year. You could argue maybe Dak Prescott, Kirk Cousins. Like, pick your favorite quarterback that they played. They didn't play Joe Burrow. They didn't play Lamar Jackson. They didn't play Mahomes. Um, they played the AFC South, so Trevor Lawrence maybe. Is Trevor Lawrence the best quarterback they faced this year? Man, I, I, I like... I like Kansas City. Um, I, I think I think the Chiefs will bring it home um, again. This is we got two weeks of this shit, so uh, we'll we'll see if that changes um, as the weeks go on. Maybe someone will talk me into the Eagles. All right, that does it for today's show. Uh, shout out to assistant producer Lil. It was her birthday today. If you're unfamiliar with who Lil is, that's my dog. Uh, she turned four. Uh, awesome day for her. Uh, she got a long walk. She got snow, uh, even though snow was a little too big for her, uh, where she, I don't know, if, for those who have dogs, where your dog's just kind of like huffing it in the snow, where they're like, they're basically half their bodies in the snow. Um, my dog's not a fan of it. Uh, she, she did not like that, but man, my ride or die, man. Love that, love that pooch. Uh, so happy birthday to her. We will be back Wednesday. I was going to do a podcast tomorrow. And then I'm thinking about it and I'm like, there's no sports happening Monday night. And my wife has a book club, which is interesting. So I'll be down here for pretty much the whole day. Like I work the day job and I'll kind of be sectioned off here. Not that I can't like hang out upstairs, but I don't think my wife really wants me watching like Stranger Things in the, in the family room while people are congregating or having conversations with them. So I'll be down here most of the most of the day, and I'm like, you know what? There's nothing happening. Let's pop back on on Wednesday. Get our, we'll talk Bucks Charlotte. We'll talk whatever happened. Rogers rumors. We'll have the McAfee stuff, um, and then uh, when then Thursday will be Mitch and I, and then Friday I'll be recapping Bucks Clippers as well as talk getting ready for the weekend. I might put in the segment Shannon and I did about National Marquette Day. Um, but we'll, we'll have to see. We haven't never really done that. I've never, you know, brought in an old segment and brought it into a new show, but I thought the national Marquette conversation was really interesting. And if you haven't listened to keg jams, go listen to it, but it's at the very end of the pod. So it's an hour and 15. So I could certainly see if you're like, Oh, I listened to the first 50, but I missed the national Marquette day thing. So maybe we'll bring that in to Friday's show in honor of national Marquette day. Although it's more of a dishonor uh, if you hear Shannon's take on the whole thing. All right, that does it. We will see you Wednesday uh, for another edition of the Daily Tap and then Thursday for tapping the keg and then another Daily Tap 
to round us out for the weekend. All right, take care, guys. Have yourself a great Monday. Back on Wednesday. See ya. Bye.